Amen. The ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out of how God has given us. And again, if you're here for the first, second, or third time, you should have been handed a connection card as you walked in. If you could fill that out over the next uh, half hour or so, and you can drop that off at our info table once you get outside, which is thankfully not very hot today. Uh, we've got a gift for you, and we just want to show you that you matter to us uh, with a way that uh, is filled with sugar, and that's really good. So again, like I said earlier, we're talking about healing today, and, and we're going to have a, a chance to respond at the end. Our prayer team is going to be up here. Uh, worship music is going to be quietly playing, so you're not screaming at anybody as you ask for a prayer request. Uh, but the reason is, is because we want, we want to experience and know and feel God's love for us today. It's one thing to, to read it in a book, to know, yeah, God heals sure that happened thousands of years ago uh, but I want us to move past the feeling into the experiential today uh, for us to move past book knowledge and into life-changing knowledge uh, I got three kids uh, two of whom are going to pop up on the screen behind me uh, Micah is the five-year-old and, and he has been raised or not raised but he's been like one thing that's helped him along in education is YouTube all right, uh, there's, some, there's a mystery Doug guy who has all sorts of like science videos and stuff. And one thing that Micah has absolutely loved is tornadoes and hurricanes. Like anything that can do the same amount of damage to a room that he can, like he's all for it. Game respects game in that one. Uh, and so you can ask him questions about tornadoes and hurricanes, and he will give you all sorts of textbook answers. Which one is more dangerous? Which one is more powerful? How both of them teamed up to blow up Bangladesh at one point a bunch of years ago. Like he has watched all the videos. He knows all the facts but he has never experienced one. All right? He's lived in Fresno his whole life. So we don't do hurricanes. We don't do tornadoes. We do a tiny little bit of rain and some wind. Uh, and I want us to move beyond that YouTube knowledge today when it comes to the healing power of God. I don't want us to just stay there. Uh, I want us to experience it where we need it in our lives. And we're going to look at a story where Jesus brings healing into a person's life. And for us, uh, it, it can come in a bunch of different ways. And Jesus is powerful enough to do that. Uh, the way that we look at this uh, is, is around two words, or uh, one phrase, sorry, already and not yet, okay? So Jesus has already died on the cross for our sins. For us as Christians, this is foundational to everything that we believe. After he died for us, he rose from the dead for us. Nobody did CPR on him. The power of God raised him from the dead, and he walked out of his own grave for us. And with that power, with that authority, is the ability for us to ask God to heal, for us to pray for healing. This isn't me as an individual laying hands on anyone and asking or believing in my own power that something's going to happen. It's the power of God poured out through us. So that has already happened. The not yet part of it is that we are not yet at a place where God has come back and wiped away all sin, wiped away all disease, wiped away all sickness. There's still cancer. There's still death. There's still disease. And in that, we trust God that when we ask for healing, he's going to bring healing when he decides to. We trust God that we can ask for him to do miracles and set things right again that have gone wrong. And when it doesn't happen, we, we are thankful that we love a God or that we're loved by a God who will one day make everything new. The thing is, is we're not there yet. One day God's going to come back, everything's going to be restored, but we're not there yet. Uh, back to the picture of the kids. Ellie is my middle daughter. Uh, she's the older one in the picture. And this week, we experienced the whole student council madness thing that has invaded some of your homes and kids making speeches and kids campaigning and all that stuff. So Thursday, the girls are practicing their speeches so that they could give them on Friday, and both of them did an awesome job, and we were really proud parents and all that stuff. But before that was practice. 
You got to practice. And, and so Ellie is giving her speech to me, and Eden is giving her speech to me, and I'm listening and all this stuff. And if there's anything that I know about in life, it's probably public speaking. It's kind of my thing and has been since years before they were born. So Ellie gives me her speech, and I take her speech. And I'm like, you know what? I think you could be a little bit more excited about parts. So then I read her her speech back to her, not as her, but as me. I'm like, dang, this is awesome. I'm voting right now. This is a candidate who's going to win. And she looks at me and she says, Dad, you are basically 90. It's not going to work. So I cried and made some 4 p.m. dinner reservations. And then, uh, and then and I gave her her speech back. Here's how this relates. One day, I will be 90. All right, May 27th, 2071. I'm turning 90. Whether I'm six feet under or six feet over, I'm turning 90 that day. That day is not yet here. I'll plan for it. I'll make my 4 p.m. dinner reservations, but I'm not yet 90. And with this, with healing, we're praying as if we're going to see restoration happen on earth as it does in heaven. When I die, which could be around 90, it could be tomorrow, who knows, my body is eventually everything going to be put back to the way that, that God intended it to be. When sin entered the world, Everything was broken, including our bodies, including our relationships, including our brains and the way that we think. And one day as Jesus followers, when we go to heaven, everything's going to be made right again. That day is not yet here, but we're going to pray that it happens here, that we get to experience God's healing power over our lives on earth as it is in heaven. And so if you're here today and you're not yet a Jesus follower and you're like totally freaked out, this is the basis of why we love Jesus. We don't love Jesus because of the great things that he said in public and was just an awesome teacher because there have also been awesome teachers who had nothing to do with God. We love Jesus because of his power poured out over us. It started with forgiveness of sin, and it continues to be rolled out through healing and through miracles and through other things. That's why we love God, is the power of God that we get to see and experience in our own life. So we're going to dive into Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, for the past few weeks and, and in through the next few months, we're going to be looking at a bunch of stories from the life of Jesus as told by a doctor, a guy who really cared about details. And we're going to read all of these stories as if we're in the room. Then we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26, as if we are there seeing everything happen and hopefully not getting hit by the debris that's going to happen in the story. But we're looking at this as if we were there. And the first thing that we're going to see as if we're there is we're going to see that Jesus is full of uncompromised truth and undeserved goodness full of uncompromised truth and undeserved goodness. And in this situation, what we're going to look at, there are two people that are totally attracted to the uncompromised truth and the undeserved goodness. Uh, and we're going to check this out right now. Verse 17. And we're going to see the first one. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Uh, so the first group of people that's totally attracted to Jesus' uncompromised truth and undeserved goodness are these Pharisees. They are the religious nitpicks. They're the ones who try to get everything right and are so bent on getting everything right that they can't have normal friends. Like they can't have friends who are normal people. They separate themselves because they think and believe in everything 
that they're better than everyone else. And so they meet Jesus. Jesus is teaching the Bible. Jesus is doing God things. And they're attracted like, hey, they're playing our song. Let's go check this out. And, and through Jesus, their hearts become enraged and hardened because Jesus is doing all of their things, but in all the wrong ways. He's healing people. He's bringing people back into community that, that they and their rules and their systems had kicked out. He's doing things like telling people that he's God and saying that the Bible points to him. And so that blows our mind. They're like, we need to kill this guy because of the things that he's saying. And so Jesus' full, uncompromised truth draws them to him. But it doesn't, it's not from like an awe, I want to learn from you. It's from a bitter, cold hatred that they do not like what Jesus is doing. And so it says that they came from all around Judea and Galilee, which is where they were, but also from Jerusalem. And we just read over that, and yeah, it's a Bible place. But it's 80 miles away. This is before Uber. This is before Amtrak, whatever. They, they have to walk there 80 miles just to hate this guy. I, I looked it up. This is close to walking to Half Dome. Just to sit there and look at how dumb it is and how much you hate it. And gray was so last year's color. Nobody does granite anymore. And why is it slant? Why doesn't it just complete and be a dome? Why do they have to cut it in half? Like, this is horrible. These are those people. They've got no, like, no gratitude for the way that God's love is being poured out on people. They're just like, that's not how I would do it. I would totally have it tilting the opposite way. Maybe have it tilting towards Fresno because that would be better for us. I don't like this at all. Like, that's them. They're horrible people, and they're there just to judge and be bitter about everything that Jesus is doing. And what destroyed the Pharisees is what attracts the second group. And Jesus was powerful. Jesus did God things. He said he was God. And in that, he was nice to people. Like it, the, the thing that, that made the Pharisees push away from everything else, this is, this is Jesus running toward people. And if we just rewind one chapter, Luke 4, where Jesus starts to interact with people, First thing he does is he walks into church and he proclaims that poor people are going to have relief, that God fights for them and Jesus has come to defend them and to bless them. Right after that, he walks into a city and, and heals everybody. Imagine Jesus walking into the ER at, at community and you're saying, okay, everybody, let's detach, let's walk out, you're healed, let's go. So you got all these people walking out with their gowns flapping behind him, and Jesus is like, okay, let's heal that. That's good, that's good. But he just walks in and heals everybody, and everything is good. After that, uh, he's, uh, he's walking along the shore, and he recruits four people. This is what we talked about last week. He takes four people and starts the Christian church that we're here, Christians in North America, because 2,000 years ago, four people said, okay, yeah, I'll leave what I'm doing and follow Jesus. And that began this process of Jesus pouring into this group of, tw of, of 12, one of whom would fail the test, and, and 11 whom then spread the church of Jesus Christ even to where we are today. After that, Jesus is walking through town again, and there's a guy who's a complete outcast, kicked out in every single possible way. He's got a disgusting skin condition, and he walks to Jesus, which is illegal in that time because he's so disgusting, and he asks Jesus to heal him. And Jesus, since he's God, since he's filled with undeserved goodness, touches the guy and he heals him. And so these friends, they get an idea. Because of how powerful God is, yet because of how loving God is, they get an idea. Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed, mat on a sleeping mat, or a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles, and then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. That's the type of friends that I have. They, they see me in my brokenness. They see me 
in my need for healing. And instead of saying, well, dude, you're just messed up, like that's bad. They say, we're going to take you, bring you to Jesus for Jesus to heal you. And even when there's an obstacle, when there's a roof literally preventing them from Jesus, where there's stale, bitter religious people preventing them from getting in front of Jesus, they're like, hey, that's no problem. Let's get the crowbar, take nails off, boom, there goes friend slowly through the roof. Imagine you bring your friend to Jesus and you actually drop him. A good thing you can raise the dead and heal paralysis because that might have come in handy. But for us, like that, that's still a picture of how life works is that we need friends like that who see the goodness of God, who see the power of God, and look at us and say, you know what, that person, that would be us, they, they've got some issues that they need Jesus to heal. Today is our final Sunday on Connection Sunday. This is our big church push to join a life group. And as you head out or as you headed in, uh, there were bagels and cream cheese there. It's our way of saying, hey, stick around. Check out a life group. One of them is going to work perfect for you. A bunch of them launched last week. Uh, mine launches this afternoon at 3 p.m. at my house. For all of us, we believe that we're wired to do life together. No one is wired to do life on their own just by themselves. And so life groups are groups of six to 30 people who gather around each other for a season to say, we're doing life together. And for this guy who got lowered down by his friends, he had his people. He was not doing life alone. He had people around him who said, we're gonna do life with you. And even if it means digging a hole in somebody's roof to plop you down in front of Jesus to get healed, we're gonna see you healed by the goodness of God and the power of God. And so that's what happens. They don't want to just experience the YouTube information about what healing is. You just have textbook information about what healing is. They want to experience it, and that's where we are today. So they lower their friend in front of Jesus because he's full of power and grace. And then by our standards, everything takes a really weird turn, okay? So the friend is lowered down in front of Jesus, and seeing their faith, Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven. He's still on the mat. What are you doing here? Jesus here is going after the main issue, and that's for all of us the fact that we have all been separated from God by our sin, that it's ultimately against God, and it's, sometimes it's against God and ourselves, sometimes it's against God and other people, sometimes it's just solely against God. But when you and I sin, when we miss the mark on the way that God created us and created the world to exist and created us to live inside of that, what our sin does is it pushes us away from God. We are all down to the individual sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. And here by saying, your sins are forgiven, he's given truth to the fact that it's better for this guy here to be carried into heaven than it is for him as a, pra- as a paralytic to be sprinting into hell. He's saying the biggest issue here for him and the biggest issue here for all of us, me included, is that we need forgiveness of sin. Because that was why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just to be nice to people. Jesus didn't come just to be a good teacher. Jesus came as in his own words to give his life as a ransom for many. Because all of us are loved by God. That's what, that's what got this whole thing started. was that God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus into the world. Because in that love, it's an accurate love. It's an honest love. And it sees us as men and women who have pushed ourselves away from God. Who have sinned and separated, separated ourselves from God. And so Jesus is demonstrating that he has the power to forgive sin. And by forgiving sin, when Jesus forgives your sin and mine, we no longer stand in front of God who knows everything and sees everything and, and, and could tell us how broken we are even better than we can. He no longer sees our brokenness, our sinfulness, our disaster that we've made of our life. 
but instead he sees Jesus' perfection poured out over us. It's the blood of Jesus that literally covers our sins. So when God sees Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfection shining back on him. That's how we can have a relationship with God is because Jesus has forgiven us and Jesus has made us right with God. That's the main issue, and Jesus is, is demonstrating and, and is bringing people to, to reality that he has the power to forgive sin. Verse 21, but the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. And they're 100% right. Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus, as God, is demonstrating right here that he works in our doubts, bringing healing to our brokenness. Jesus works in our doubts, bringing healing to our brokenness. And I think this is where we can encounter this passage here today. It's because the people who dropped their friend, who tore apart somebody's roof for the sake of bringing their friend before Jesus, trusting that God would heal him, they didn't have doubt. I think we're there in the crowd. We're there maybe the person on the mat thinking, okay, God, this is my situation, but what can you do about it? In the midst of our doubt, God gets to work. And there are three types of brokenness here. There's, there's three areas of doubt that God invades. The first one of those is religious brokenness. And this is the part of the people who, who came from 80 miles away just to hate what was going on. Because they're the people who followed the rules for forever, which isn't a bad thing. They're the people who followed the rules, but instead of it, it bringing peace to their life, it brought pride to their life. And they look at everybody else, and they're like, I'm glad I'm not like everyone else who's here who really needs Jesus. I'm here because I earned it. I'm here because I've made myself better. And the problem with that is, is that leads to a really small view of God's love. That was the problem they had with Jesus is God's love is so big that it's going to all the wrong people. And that's not how they would have demonstrated the love of God. But within each and every one of those people, me included, is sin that needs to get dealt with. And so they become angry people. They become self-centered people. They become prideful people. Because they don't recognize themselves as sinners who need to be saved. All they recognize are conditions that need to be hidden, scars that need to be hidden. You know, they followed all the rules. They shouldn't have to go through what everybody else goes through because they did it right. But Jesus works in our religious brokenness to show us that the scars that are hidden, the sin that needs to be forgiven, extends to us just as much as it does anybody else. So for the religious people there that... that had everything right and Jesus is the one who's wrong he's saying man I got love for you I've got forgiveness to cover your list of accomplishments where you think that you don't need me and he still does that for us today second area is the area of personal brokenness I thought about this a lot this week there are a lot of times where Jesus heals people and he asks them questions and they have dialogue and Jesus encourages them by their words and and uses their own words to show them God's love for him and Jesus never asks this person a single question and I think the reason is is because as soon as Jesus asked him a question the guy would have opened his mouth and blamed everybody and complicated the whole situation all right, there's somebody here uh, who does that and he has a problem with it and we've got his picture uh, we should show it because they need to know what they do Yep. I guess this is my area, okay? I'm there on the mat. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. I can't throw up my hands because I'm paralyzed, so I just throw up my head. Uh, And I'm like, about time. You don't realize what all these other people did to me, Jesus. You don't realize that I'm the one who got punished and it should have been everybody else because they're the ones who really screwed up. You know, it's not me. Jesus never asks the question. He's like, shh, shut up. I'm going to heal you. 
fill your brain first because that's what needs to happen. Like Jesus talks to us in our brokenness to bring healing. Um, we talk about Regen, our church's recovery program, uh, and I started that this week because I've got areas of anger and selfishness in my own life that need to get fixed. And if you're like, I don't like a pastor who's in recovery, I don't like a pastor who sins. Uh, Jesus is sinless, but he already has a job, so you ain't hiring him either. And one of the things that was said really kind of hit me between the eyes uh, this week, and the guy who was talking, he said that addiction hides in deflecting blame. I'm like, dang it, that's not good, because uh, that's me. You know, Jesus came to heal our personal brokenness. I responded for a service to get prayer for uh, anger and selfishness. I'm like, man, I, I'm a mess. This is where I need Jesus to work. I'm there on the mat because I can't heal myself. I'm a mess. I can't even walk in because the guy's paralyzed, and, and I need Jesus' love over my life. Because addiction hides in deflecting blame, and I'm really good at deflecting blame. So I need God to come in, and I need God to heal things. And that's what God does, is he heals personal brokenness. He puts us back together when we're messed up. Uh, and he does that around religious brokenness, where we're thinking we don't need him because we're already good enough. He does that around personal brokenness. And he does that around physical brokenness. One of the last verses in the Bible, in the next to last chapter, Jesus is talking about everything that he's done. And he creates a new world where there's no more sickness, there's no more disease, uh, there, there's no more death, there's no more funerals, there's no more cancer. And he says, look, I've made everything new. And one day we're going to be there. One day life's going to get put back together. He's saying you're going to see God's power on earth as it is in heaven. And when humanity sinned, when people sinned, everything got broken. Like if you're looking at it scientifically, all the ologies got broken. Biology was broken. Psychology and the way that we think was broken. Sociology and the way that we relate as people was broken. And physiology, our bodies experienced brokenness as well. That's what created the, this whole mess. And as the God of the mess, God steps into the mess to heal broken bodies. Jesus still demonstrates his power over sin and sickness and disease through miraculous healing. He still demonstrates his power over sin and sickness and disease through miraculous healing. Verse 22, Jesus says, or Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he asked them, the people who thought only God can forgive sins, why are you doing this wrong? He asked them a question. He said, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Or stand up and walk. He's saying forgiveness is invisible. This guy's heart has been made right with God in heaven. But that's between him and heaven. Like No one can see that. It's invisible. But Jesus, since he's God and has a good sense of humor sometimes, he's like, you know what would be really visible? A paralyzed man jumping up and down. So let's do that. Verse 24. Jesus calls game, so to say. He says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, he picked up his mat, and he went home. He says, here's your proof. Your mat, the thing that confined your life, is now going to be rolled up, thrown over your shoulder to symbolize God's ability to conquer and dethrone death in our lives, and you're going to carry that home. And everyone's going to see you as the paralyzed guy carrying your old identity away from Jesus because you've been healed and stuff's been made right again. 
For us as a church, I don't want us to just learn that because it comes from a book. I want us to experience that because the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us and flows through us as a church that when we pray and we ask God for healing, as it's going to happen in heaven, we want to see it happen on earth as it is in heaven. Romans 8, 11, we're going to read this on the screen. It says this, everybody all out loud at the same time, set, go. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. It's the same spirit. It's extended authority that Jesus has because of the cross, because he's God with skin on. That's extended to us. Isaiah 53, 4, a guy writing 500 years before Jesus who sees the situation perfectly. He prophesies, he foretells the future about this Talking about Jesus, he says, He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. And he was whipped so that we could be healed. As Jesus' body willingly destroyed so ours could be put back together. And then Mark 16, 18, these are Jesus' own words after his resurrection. Those who believe will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Jesus is saying, just as I've been given all authority on heaven and on earth to bring healing to people's lives, those who believe, that, that's anyone here who calls themselves a Christian, can place their hands on the sick to see healing happen. You know, it's the, the already but the not yet. I don't know why God doesn't heal people sometimes. I've asked a bunch. I've had situations where I'm like, man, this would be a really, really good time. And sometimes God doesn't do it. But what we get reminded of page after page throughout scripture is the invitation to ask, is the invitation to take the step of faith and lower your friend down in front of Jesus, destroying somebody's roof because the payoff is worth it, to see the glory of God poured out on God's people, to put ourselves under the mercy and the grace and the healing power that can only come from Jesus. And we worship a God that still does this. We worship a God that didn't hang up healing when the Bible was done being written, but he continues to do that throughout history, throughout the church, throughout our church, and by his Holy Spirit. We got a video right now of how that played out uh, at Mountain View Main Campus. Let's check it out. Hello, church. My name is Lucero, and this is Walt, my husband, Walter. We are here to share a little bit of our testimony. We have been coming to Main Campus for almost two years. Hi, church. Uh, on 2017, I had a dream where I was walking in a dark alley with my son. You know, we were walking and just, you know, he started running in front of me and I lost him. I couldn't find him because it was too dark. Oh, I know I can hear his voice telling me, Dad, come and help me, Dad. I need help. Somebody's on top of me. It feels like a bad spirit. And I was like, son, I can't see you. Where are you? And he was very desperate. Um, screaming, help me, Dad, help me. And me as a father, I couldn't do anything because I couldn't see him. But I hear a voice, a uh, very, very loud voice behind me saying, don't worry, your son is going to be fine. Just praise me aloud, and I will help you. Um, so in that moment, I woke up, and uh, I was like, wow, very scary. So um, three months later, we find out that our son was with leukemia. Um, it was a very, very hard for our family. I couldn't do anything to help him at that time because, you know, I was like, what can I do to help him? 
So we took our son to Valley Children's Hospital. You know, the first week they give him the first treatment, the chemo. They send the results to uh, San Francisco for better uh, testing machines. And that same night, we stay at the hospital with my son. My wife went home, and I grabbed my Bible. My little boy was sleepy at that time. I grabbed my Bible, put one hand on the Bible, one hand on my son. And I start praying the Lord. I say, Lord, it's not my willing, but it's your willing. So do whatever you have to do, Lord. I gave it to you. But if you're going to heal him, heal him, Lord. I don't want to see him suffering. It was, I felt so good. I felt this peace inside me. Like, it was like, don't worry, you know? Like, I was like super peaceful in that when I started praying. The next morning, we, we got the results back. The doctor said, hey, we got great news. The results came negative. And from that moment, it changed our lives. I said, wow, miracles do exist. And now he's our little walking miracle. And we enjoy coming to church and serving, um, enjoy participating in the life groups and helping in Saturdays on the food and clothing distribution. And we just enjoy sharing. So church, as you guys see with the miracle, if you're going through some trouble, just remember you're not alone. God is with us and just have faith and he will do miracles. Amen. <clears throat> It's a great story because we get to see God's power poured out as people pray and ask God to, to intervene, God get involved. And Jesus invites us into worship, and we worship by responding to his invitation to healing. So the man jumps up and he runs home, and, and everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. I love that, that it says they praised God. So the difference between praise and thanksgiving, because they sound kind of synonymous, is that praise is, is making a big deal of God's character. It's making a big deal of God's character. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. And God's character is that of a healer. That he already healed our separation between us and God because of our sin. And to remind us of that, to give us a demonstration of that, he continues to heal as we ask. He invites us to come and to ask for restoration, to ask to be put back together, whether it's religious brokenness, whether it's personal brokenness, whether it's physical brokenness. He said, ask and I'll, I'll do it. And so that's, our, that's how we're going to respond today. The worship team is going to come up, prayer team is going to go to the side, uh, and we're going to use the remaining minutes we have uh, to pray and ask God for healing.